And we are live from the empire of lies and just outside the matrix. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. It's the backstory. We had a great show today. First off, we're joined by our juicy guest co-host, Jason Goodman, for the entire show today. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? I'm very well, Lee. How are you? I've been better, but, you know, that's to be expected. Yeah. We have we have two great guests. Have you talked to anyone from Moscow today, Jason? I have. Uh, not yet, no. No, no, you will. Okay, good. Because Mark Sloboda will be on the show starting at the quarter after the hour. Excellent. Straight out of Moscow and bring us the latest on Buka and the other stories, Mariupol and these other places with names that are hard to pronounce when you pronunciation, part of your brain is working on a good day. But, you know, yeah. they have to they have to give me Ukrainian names. <laughs> it's tricky. But You know, Lee, I, I was just then, texting with my ex-Ukrainian wife. Really? Yeah. She's uh, sending me pictures of neighborhoods and things that are blowing up. Where's she? Just generally. Well, she's in Florida, but see, the thing that's got me concerned is that, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is the social engineering that's going on. We see these images and nobody can deny that an apartment building exploding and dead people in the street is horrible. But I don't think it's evidence of the things that Zelensky and Biden think it is. Right. I think it's evidence of something. It's a cover up. And I'm going to be blunt about that. And, you know. We'll get into it after the boom. Let's mention our second hour guest is Daniel Lazar. We'll be talking about the Hunter Biden laptop. We'll also be talking about Zbigniew Zbigniew Brzezinski. Well done. I almost pronounced his name wrong. I almost said Zbigniew Brzezinski. He's a director. (laughs) He is. He's a music video director. He's one of the best. Oh, wow. But But Zbigniew... Brzezinski is what we'll be talking about. And that's in the second hour. Now, let's get, do me a favor, Jason, say the name of the show, watch what happens. The backstory. Finally, I got it. That's satisfying, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Now, there's a lot of news to talk about. You know, what were you saying about your ex? Well, you know, my 50th birthday is coming up. So there are people who are contacting me who, you know, haven't spoken to in a while. And she's obviously very upset. She grew up in Ukraine. She's lived in the United States for many years. She lives in Florida now. She's safely in uh, the land of Ron DeSantis and freedom. But I mean, again, you know, when some friend from childhood tells her that her father was killed by the Russian army, if I ask her, well, did anybody see the Russian army do it? She gets very upset. So the conversation ended pretty abruptly. But this is a huge problem, Lee, because you see what they're doing when I say they, I mean the media in the United States, the president of Ukraine, the president of the United States. They're showing you undeniably horrible images and they're saying that Russia did this. But how do we know that Russia did that? Why did these images not show up weeks ago? They only show up after Russia has withdrawn from Bukha. And why did the British stop the investigation at the UN? 
Right. That to me is one of the most telling things. Yes. Is that they did not want the investigation. And in fact, the British are saying Russia should be thrown out of the Human Rights Commission at the UN. And that's a separate argument. You can Mm. say that, but you should say, but let's investigate this one. Right. Especially if it would provide proof for your contention that Russia's behind this, which, in theory, the British think. Right. Well, I also think that it's very hypocritical. The British participated with the United States in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. What about this car filled with children that was just droned in Afghanistan by the United States that none of those kids had anything to do with the war? And Biden just was like, ah, whoops. Yes, and unfortunately... Well, here's the thing. War is bad. Yes. And war, the reason it's the last step and the reason Russia tried to negotiate with Ukraine for eight years. Right. They tried to get them to follow the Minsk Accords. Yeah. For eight years is because war is bad. Mm-hmm. Now, when Russia's in a war, they've got to fight to win it. Because this this extending will just be worse for everybody. Yeah. And but doesn't it? What were you saying? Well, doesn't it seem like every single thing Zelensky and Biden are doing are only serving to escalate this? Yes. Right. That's exactly right. And and extend it, and to involve civilians. Yes. And if you have any doubt about that. Harken back, try to remember back if you have the brain capacity to do that. I I may be iffy, but (laughs) what I remember is a few weeks ago when the war started, remember this? When the war started a month ago, Mm -hmm. they were handing out AK-47s. To everybody. And releasing prisoners to fight this war. Isn't that militarizing your civilian population and making everything a military target? Right. And that was their first move. Pretty stupid. So you you ask yourself, well, how do we know that Ukraine's doing that? Because we remember back four weeks ago, at the first steps they took, giving citizens Molotov cocktails. Remember that? Training on CNN of how to throw them and all that. No, exactly right. Now... One of the dangers of the current situation is the information warfare. Yes. And we'll talk about that at the top of the hour a little bit more. And I'm going to argue the common sense is that Ukraine, however, is that Ukraine is winning the information war. And I'm going to argue against that. Hmm. I'm going to say, why I think Ukraine is not winning. But in terms of military war, there's no question. Russia's basically, it, they've won this. The Ukrainian troops have no way to get resupplied. Their tanks are running out of fuel. This is all happening right now because yeah. Russia's cut their supply lines. Yeah. And... If they were sane, 
if they were Ukraine, if they had the citizens of Ukraine at heart, they would surrender. Because there's no way Ukraine is going to win this. Yeah. And well, I mean, uh, they, they've been effective in the information war because it's essentially, I mean, I think if we look at this, Lee, in the context of other recent wars, Vietnam was really much different than previous wars because of the guerrilla warfare and the jungle aspect, you know, the civilian insurgency and everything that we've heard about. But this is different. It's modern urban urban warfare, modern cyber warfare, and the asymmetric aspect of it, uh, Ukraine versus Russia in a cyber war, particularly if it's a civilian cyber militia, is perhaps much better equipped than in a, in a straight shooting war. I think Russia would flatten Ukraine, obviously. And here's another th important thing to consider. The argument coming from the pro-Ukraine side is that, you know, Russia... They're killers and they hate Ukrainians and that's why they're destroying the whole place. Couldn't everybody have stayed in Moscow and just fired a couple of dozen missiles at the place if the goal was to truly just destroy every city and kill everybody? Wouldn't that be easier, less expensive, less risk? Russia has demonstrated, they've said they're trying to avoid killing civilians and they've demonstrated that yeah. all throughout this war over and over again. And unfortunately, yeah. civilians die in wars yeah. and especially when one side ukraine is using people as human shields not right. just what we talked about and ak-47s but also putting munitions in churches they showed this one synagogue that was attacked i think it was in mariupol hmm. but there were pictures showing that Ukrainians were using it as, as a place to keep store weapons. Hmm. So when you do that with a synagogue, it's no longer a synagogue. Right. I'm not sure. I, maybe they reform. Maybe. <laughs> but, but it seems to me that they're, and this is very clear. The other thing that's very clear what had led up to this accusations about Buka was that Ukrainian soldiers posted, they posted it. It was not an expose. Them shooting and kneecapping and torturing, gouging the eyes out of Russian soldiers. Have you seen that footage? What I saw, I did not see eye gouging. I saw Ukrainians torturing Russian soldiers, shooting them in the genitals. Yes, that too. Now, you had the range of anatomy. And let me point yeah. out that this is not footage that was sneaked out. This is footage that the Ukrainians posted themselves. They yeah. were proud of it. Right. They're, and so that's an admission I don't know how else to put it. That's them posting what they're doing. So we know that that came from them. And by the way, that's a war crime. Torturing prisoners, that's a war crime. And filming it, yes, I believe is a war crime. You can't certainly you can't make sport or entertainment of killing people. 
propaganda material right. It's it's just it's absolutely untenable. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Mark Sabota straight out of Moscow. Jason Goodman is our co-host. Listen to the backstory. Back on the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. is where you can find us. Our co-host today, Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth. And on the line, straight out of Moscow, we're pleased to be joined by Mark Sloboda. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hey, Lee. Thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on the backstory. Good to have you back. It's always, yeah, it's, it's great to have you, Mark. So um, I don't think you, you if, have you ever been on with Jason? Hi, Mark. I have not. Hi, Jason. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Sounds like you're right around the corner. Great connection. So, Mark, first off, I'll just ask a general question. How's it going? How are you doing? How's things in Moscow? I'm fine. Uh, life is pretty normal. The most noticeable effect of the uh, economic warfare uh, being conducted against Russia by the West is that the ruble has completely recovered the value that it lost prior to the beginning of the economic war, uh, and maybe 5 to 10% inflation, which, as I understand it, is significantly less than the Eurozone is experiencing right now, thanks to the blowback from their own sanctions against Russia. That's about it. In fact, one of our previous oh, guests, McDonald's Mark, is gone. McDonald's is gone. And <laughs> some people are healthier. What are people doing without McDonald's? Uncle Vanya. Uncle Vanya. Well, I mean, there's a lot more than that. And it, it, it's uh, as uh, the last time I checked, uh, Burger King was actually still operating here because, as I understand, they operate under a franchise system. So, uh, but um, yeah, Mickey D's is gone, and at least some of his stores have been replaced by uh, basically a, a trademark copycat that turned the M over on its side to make a Russian uh, V, which looks like a B in English, a V. And uh, they have launched a their uh, a Russian version of McDonald's called Uncle Vanya's. Uh, and that's opened in at least one location, I believe. <laughs> but there, there are there is Russian fast food. I heard there was something of a complicated situation going on with these franchise agreements because there are some McDonald's and Burger King restaurants that are owned by the corporation, and then others, maybe outside of Moscow, but in Russia, that are owned by individual Russian business people who are franchisees who are in a contract with these corporations. And now these innocent individual Russian business people who, for all we know, could even be Ukrainian citizens living in Russia, have lost their business and are in a big legal battle with McDonald's. Yeah, I, there, I, I don't know uh, the exact details about it with McDonald's. I know that Burger King, that it's possible, uh, does operate that way. And they have stopped supplying corporate uh, support uh, to to the franchises. But I know that there are ongoing legal struggles going on. But just on a personal basis, I'm never going to call the owner of a, of a uh, 
fast food chain or franchise uh, innocent. Innocent, right? Good point. But but it does hurt the it does hurt the future prospects of international business. I mean, if I was a Russian business person who got into business with an American company and then lost hundreds of thousands or whatever the investment, you wouldn't be so keen on doing that again. Yeah, look, I mean, well, there's a great decoupling going on. I do not see normal economic relations between the West and the Russia ever recovering in our lifetimes. Never. I agree with that. I, I, I agree. I don't see. I don't see it happening. And also, I think part of it is that Russia seems okay with it. Russia's sort of going, well, oh, oh, we don't have McDonald's. Whatever will we do? You know, they're recovering. And and as you say, the ruble. We have a one of the co-hosts on on the show, Mark Frost. He made money. He bought rubles. He's American. He made money. He bought rubles early on, and he's made a profit, a tidy profit on that. So I I I agree that this decoupling is happening. And the other thing, as gas prices shot, you pay anyone they're paying four or five bucks a gallon. Yeah, gas prices have not shut up in Russia, in Russia because Russia is one of the major suppliers of gas, oil, and coal to the world. So, uh, and uh, uh, we have not seen uh, domestic prices increase on gasoline. And this point that the sanctions have done a nothing to stop the war. That's clear. B, they've done nothing to hurt the Russian economy in a big way. Not in a big way. I, there may be effects further down the line, and there have been some effects. But uh, uh, by and large, I would say it seems pretty clear to me now that Europe, for instance, is definitely uh, the average European consumer is suffering more from the European sanctions against Russia than the average Russian citizen is. And American. The gas prices here and the food prices here are going up. Yes. And, and I think that's going to be very bad politically for Joe Biden because – he was saying the sanctions are the way, you know, we're going to sanction Russia and they've run out of things to sanction. Furthermore, the Russian economic ties with India, China, for instance, just start with those. Those are big economies. And yeah. being able to trade with them is probably going to sustain it's it's not like you know people in this country talk about Russia's isolated. No, they're isolated from America and from Europe, sort of from the West. Yeah, but they're, yeah, they're not isolated from plenty of the world, right, Mark? Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at the map of which countries are participating in the the, the war, the economic war on Russia via sanctions, and it's the West, right? It's the U.S. And Europe, and you know their their uh, client states, uh, South Korea and Japan and Taiwan, uh, in the Pacific, and that's it. I mean that 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 is the extent of the sanctions. It's not South America, it's not Africa, it's uh, not anyone. Uh, you know, uh, bar those uh, you know two uh, uh, fringe territories. Uh, you know, Japan and South Korea on on the end, but. Uh, the U.S. is has been preparing, you know, what they call secondary sanctions, i.e., threatening to sanction other countries just for continuing to defy their sanctions, 
uh, and, um, uh, you know, uh, for, for doing, continuing to do business with Russia. And we have to remember that the U.S. has already sanctioned its own NATO allies, Turkey and Germany, for doing business with Russia, right? The Turkey for buying the S-400, uh, German German companies uh, involved in the Nord Stream 2, uh, you actually uh, many European countries that were involved uh, in the Nord Stream 2 pipeline construction uh, that were, uh, most European energy majors were actually heavily invested in that. Uh, so, but um, the uh, US uh, ambassador to India specifically made threats uh, to India. India has stepped up uh, its purchase of oil from Russia uh, quite significantly in the past month um, due to a, a, they're getting a, a discount rate compared to what how high the oil price has gone for the rest of the world uh, because of this. Uh, and they have refused to bow to U.S. sanctions. Pakistan, uh, the uh, prime minister of Pakistan, well, uh, until recently, the prime minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, um, who he on the day that the intervent Russian intervention started, he was in Moscow. Said, "Ooh, it's so interesting to be or, uh, uh, to be here in, in in such important times," and signed major wheat and gas uh, deals with Russia. Now he is under political assault uh, at home, and he says the U.S. is openly uh, have been trying to overthrow him and to avoid a no confidence vote. Uh, he has uh, dissolved parliament and his own position and is now returning directly to the people for snap elections uh, to to, you know, get a, a renewed mandate from the people. Uh, so that that's an interesting little bit of meddling going on there. Do, do you know, Mark, anything about there was this uh, photograph published recently of Imran Khan at a meeting with about maybe a dozen people, including Bill Gates? And one individual who was removed from the photo uh, from the photo with very obvious Photoshop retouching. This was just like within the last week or two. I have not seen that. Uh, do you have any idea who that person supposedly removed is? Well, this article had said that it was the head of the Pakistani ISI, but I tend to not believe that. But isn't it known who that is? And if they're telling you that's who it is, and he's removed from the photo, that makes me think it's someone else. It's uh, possible. It's possible, but uh, the in Pakistan, Pakistan has interesting uh, politics to say the least, where the army and the intelligence services are each their own separate political power uh, in the country, a political and economic power. It must be said because they also have uh, significant uh, uh, business holdings within their own uh, institutional uh, framework. Um, so, um, the fact that the head of the Pakistani intelligence does not want pictures, uh, taken of him, uh, really is no, no, wouldn't be a shock to me. But the presence of Bill Gates at that meeting is so strange. And now you're, I, I didn't know that Imran Khan had gone to Moscow. I'm seeing reporting on it now from just a few hours ago, but it's interesting that we've got Bill Gates meeting with Imran Khan and he's under political pressure. Maybe he's on the fence and the U.S. is indirectly pressuring him. And now here he is saying, look, I don't like their deal. I want to hang out with Putin. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's not on the fence. Imran Khan is openly anti-U.S. and anti-EU. He has been for a long time. Um, and, and the uh, U.S. When the, the US is anti-Imran Khan in the sense that they were plotting assassination of him. Right. You know, if you view that as a hostile act, then <laughs> it was a hostile act. Yeah, they frown on let, that. Let me, turn, 
Let me mention one other thing before we leave foreign uh, dealings. We had an election in Hungary recently, and Viktor Orban won again, handily won. Now, Orban is uh, on the right and not perceived as he was, for instance, he got along with Trump. Now, Viktor Orban openly is dealing with Moscow. And interestingly enough, Orban is in a position, I think, because they're a NATO ally, I mean, sorry, because they're part of the EU, forgive me, where they could be the link between Russia and any let's say the U.S., because they have economic relationships with both of them, Orban could be the the sort of diplomat. Do you see that as possible, Mark? What's How do you take Orban to victory? Yeah, Orban, you know, I mean, he's, uh, you know, if you want to call him uh, right, I mean, he, he is often called far right. I don't think, uh, he's certainly not far right, like, Kiev regime, neo-Nazi death squad, far right. Uh, but, um, you know, he he's a, a right politician, a bit of a populist, but he's also extremely pragmatic about Hungarians' national interests. Um, and it, it is often being presented that both him and the victory of the Serbian uh, re-election of the Serbian pres- President Vukic in uh, Serbia is some kind of victory for pro-Russian politicians. And that's nonsense. I mean, it, people here will, will tell you that quite openly. These are not pro-Russian uh, politicians. Now they're Viktor Orban or, or Vukic in Serbia. They are just not rabidly anti-Russian uh, politicians, that they're concerned more about their national interests. Now, Hungary is a participant in all of these sanctions, right, against uh, Russia and everything. But they have their own beefs with Kiev. Um, there is a Hungarian minority in Ukraine whose language rights have been taken away by the new regime uh, and and no small amount of political repression there as well, just like you know the ethnic Russians and the East Ukrainians who are, are Russian speaking have have suffered uh, in the east. Uh, so th- there's a bit of a uh, you know kind of a um, uh, Hungary is always uh, on Kiev ab- about the treatment of of ethnic hung- Hungarians uh, in that part of Ukraine. And on top of that, um, Orban has directly accused Zelensky of meddling and uh, working directly with the political opposition that tried to defeat him in the recent election. Uh, and he says that is unacceptable meddling by Kiev. And Orban has stated that, uh, you know, while it has agreed, it, it refuses to send arms to Kiev, uh, which is a, a big no no. You have to send uh, lethal weapons to Kiev. I mean, they've only been killing their own people for the last eight years, you know, so, um, but. Um, the uh, he's also uh, stated about the idea of cutting off, uh, you know, of uh, Europe trying to go cold turkey and uh, cutting off all Russian oil and gas, which they rely on for like 40 percent of their energy needs. And Hungary is like uh, well over 80 percent 
dependent on on Russian energy. The countries in Eastern Europe tend to be more more reliant because of you know historical pipelines uh, and uh, you know as a remnant of of you know the Cold War period. And uh, Orban says, yeah, it's impossible. Uh, it would destroy our economy. Uh, you know, we have no literally we you know we don't have a seaport. We can't even buy more expensive U.S. LNG. Not that there's enough supply for that anyway. Uh, you know, or from any other country, uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, it would destroy our economy, and it's it's just a fanciful talk to even talk about it. And of course, that you know uh, pisses off a lot of, of of other people in the EU that uh, would like to go down this suicidal road. So you mean not everyone in Hungary can just go buy a Tesla tomorrow? I'm surprised by that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I from what I mean, I, from what I understand, in the U.S., Teslas are priced well over what fifty five thousand a piece. Yeah, no, yeah. hundred. Most that's the cheapest one. Most of them are over a hundred thousand. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my middle class family could have never afforded one either. So I should also point out that Orban Lyons' victory, he said it was a victory against Zelensky. And Soros. Now, Hungary's got a, even though George Soros is Hungarian, was born in Hungary, they are very hostile to him in Hungary. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah, he's, he's viewed as a U.S. oligarch meddling in their politics, yes. And, and it should, well, it should be. But I thought it was interesting that Orban said this is a victory against Zelensky. What'd you make of that? Yeah, like I said, he's directly accused Zelensky of uh, working with the opposition uh, in Hungary. Uh, you know, um, unacceptable meddling uh, uh, to to try to unseat him because of Hungary's. Well, I mean, it, they call it pro-Russian. It's not. It's just more neutral and and nationally pragmatic position. Uh, but right now, that is the level of what is considered pro-Russian, I guess. Uh, so, um, I mean, that is the vested inference of Kiev there. And it's certainly not going, it's going to lead to further problems as uh, the EU and NATO both, uh, you know, um, take separate measures, you know, ever increasing sanctions by the EU, increasing military support and military troop presence uh, in the region by NATO. Uh, both those groups rely on unanimity, right? Everyone has to agree. And Orban is all set to cause all sorts of problems for them by saying, uh, you know, no, it's not like a, I like Putin, but I don't like Zelensky either, and I see no reason to support him there. Now, now we're going to talk about Buka next. Before we talk about Buka, let's talk about the thing that led up to it, which is these horrific videos of Hungarian Troops torturing Ukrainian troops, not Hungarian troops. Yep. For, for, forgive me. Yeah, there's. I'm not trying to start a war. <laughs> Ukrainian troops torturing and uh, killing Russian soldiers. Now I talked to Robert Bridge about that. POWs. POWs. Yes. Yeah. And it. It. How well known is that in Russia? Everybody knows it. <laughs> Everyone is yeah. well aware of it. I mean, I know everyone in the West is is not aware of it, but everyone in Russia is aware of it. I assure you of that, because it's a lot of their, you know, uh, sons and uh, it, and it, uh, I, I I don't know if any of their daughters were tortured to death, but I have seen the death of uh, female Russian female servicemen, medics, and the like in 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 uh, Ukraine as well. So 
uh, definitely, the, you know, their sons uh, who uh, have died and whose lives are on the line. And, you know, uh, to die in combat is one thing, uh, to be uh, tortured and killed as a prisoner of war by neo-Nazis, literal neo-Nazi death squads, uh, state armed and state funded, literal neo-Nazi death squads, despite the fact, yes, that Zelensky's father was Jewish. Um, that's the reality. And that is what's happening. And there's really no question about it, no matter how much the Western media tries to close their eyes, not report on it and pretend it doesn't happening because it, it is the Ukrainian battalions and, and their supporters themselves that are posting the videos because they're quite proud of this little bit of, of, uh, you know, resurgent Nazi sadism. They're, they're quite they're They, they, they regard that as, you know, the high point of, of their existence. This is what they, you know, uh, are, are principally made for, uh, as, as they see it. Um, and this is exactly what many of their, you know, this is, I really hate when when it's addressed. This is Ukrainian, right? This is not Ukrainian because there are plenty of sane, non neo Nazi, non Kiev regime supporting Ukrainians. This is a result of the Kiev regime and its state support of neo Nazis and its state glorification of Nazi collaborators and Holocaust perpetrators uh, from World War II. And most of this, you know, historically, ideologically, comes from West Ukraine which wasn't even a part of Ukraine until uh, uh, 1939. Uh, it was uh, part of the Austro, uh, briefly Poland, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth before that, uh, but it hasn't been part of Ukraine for centuries. And yeah, yeah, that's a principal part of their West Ukrainian national identity conception is hatred of Russians. Um, but the people in East Ukraine feel quite differently about that and uh, that, you know, is the, the national identity divide in Ukraine that has been playing out for the last eight years, uh, you know, where the regime that seized power in Kiev with the support trying to force this West Ukrainian politics on the east of the country led to eight years of, of bloody conflict that was largely ignored by the Western media. Now, it seems to me that Buka was it, it, not, this wasn't the only purpose of it, but part of it serve to divert from yes. those war crimes, the Ukrainian war crimes. Yes, that, that I have seen that suggested, and that is entirely possible. A, a Russian ambassador came out today, I believe in the last 24 hours or so, and said Russia made a mistake at withdrawing from Bukha. And he said that the false flag operation couldn't have happened if Russia had not fully withdrawn. And I was worried that this would be a consequence when it, it's made it so Russia almost can't cede any ground because as soon as they do, then your services of something like this pop up. Have you seen, what do you think of that, Mark? What do you think of the idea that Russia, this really limits Russia in a sense from withdrawing it's I mean, it the decision to withdraw was was strategic and tactical, as I understood that that Russia did not have enough forces and, and never really had to encircle Kiev or properly laid siege to it. They were there as a pinning force uh, to prevent reinforcement uh, of the main 
concentration of the Ukrainian regular military on the edges of Donbass in East Ukraine, which has now been almost totally enveloped in a cauldron. And those forces were needed more there strategically uh, to complete that and to begin, you know, hopefully forcing the surrender or if not, then the neutralization of those forces there, which would, you know, go a long way towards quote unquote winning the war. Uh, not that I think it will be quite that easy. Um, but, you know, there is a, a question of responsibility because it's, it's clear that the regime in Kiev is summarily executing people that it sees as traitors, collaborators, right? I mean, that's, it's not a question. It's reported in the Ukrainian press, and they're quite proud of it. There's been several high-profile incidences of it in Kiev, reported by Ukrainska Pravda, one of their main newspapers and others. They're not shy about it. Their own uh, uh, MPs, uh, the Rada members, have, have talked about it. The, one of the first uh, peace negotiators for Ukraine with Russia, Denis Kuryev, he was shot in broad daylight by the Ukrainian intelligence services, the SPU, while entering a courthouse because he was a traitor. And they did not hide that. What the one of the former deputy directors of the SPU was shot in broad daylight. Uh, the the uh, forces pulled up on both sides of his car and just unloaded on it uh, with with uh, uh, automatic weapons. And that was they videotaped themselves doing that. Wow, Mark, Mark, Mark. Why why are they not capturing these people? I mean, I would hope in the United States, even during the time of war, if a politician, a general, or whatever was found to be a traitor, they'd be put in jail and put on trial, not just shot in the street. That sort of speaks to what we're talking about. I mean, the fish stinks from the head, right? If the government is doing that, the people say, well, okay, this is how we do it. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and again, there's no question that they're doing this, right? So, I mean, the, uh, you know, the, the counter narrative that Russia is presenting uh, in Bucha, for instance, is that most of these people uh, that were killed, it appears they were quite specifically, Reuters pointed it out, they were bearing white armbands. Now, white armbands are there to represent Russian troops or those you know, uh, under their protection or working with them. It's a don't shoot me, right? Right. Uh, Ukrainian troops are wearing blue and yellow armbands uh, in different areas, Russians, white and red. And the suggestion is that these people were collaborators, right, that they were working with the Russians when they occupied the city or, or you know, as little as taking aid from them. Uh, we don't know the specifics, but the Ukrainian National Police announced, right, publicly announced it was on their website that they are on April uh, uh, 2nd. Uh, before any news of any, uh, right, four days after the Russian military withdrawal, right, uh, 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 hours before there was any mention of any atrocities, that any civilians had been killed, the National Police of Ukraine, thoroughly infiltrated by these far-right neo-Nazi uh, groups and members, they announced a cleansing operation in Bucha of potential Russian saboteurs and collaborators. They said that quite specifically. And a number of these corpses had white armbands. Reuters reported that. White armbands would have represented civilians saying, hey, Russians, I'm not a threat. Make sure, you know, uh, you know I'm on your side or, or whatever. Don't shoot me. Uh, this is, you know, it's simply not being, the possibility is not even being addressed. There's no question 
who these people were. Um, and uh, I think there's a possibility that a significant number of those people fall into that category. There was another video posted by actually a Belarusian neo-Nazi fighting for the Ukrainian uh, 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 far-right forces, uh, you know, state-armed and funded, so it's it's the Kiev regime forces, Sergei Korotkin. He posted a video of the Boatsman Boys in Bucha. And the Boatsman Boys are one of the more notorious Ukrainian territorial defense battalions. And in that video, they're both wearing blue armbands representing, you know, which side they're on uh, to avoid, you know, these uh, friendly fire incidences and the like. And he says, hey, those people not wearing blue armbands, it's okay to shoot them, right? And the other one replies, yeah. (laughs) And um, so anyone not wearing a blue armband evidently was was fair game, right, in this cleansing operation. And the question that Western journalists are not asking is, so how many people did you identify as collaborators in this cleansing operation that you announced, and what did you actually do with them? <laughs> did you shoot them in, in, you know, summarily execute them as you have been publicly doing with some of your own officials in Kiev, right? You know, uh, it's, it's, it's not like it's a secret. Uh, you know, so there's a clear pattern of activity here, whether it's executing Russian POWs, torturing and executing, uh, whether it's killing their own officials who are, it's decided that they are traitors. Obviously, the first peace negotiator wanted peace a little bit too much, I guess, uh, uh, that, that they, they killed even him. Uh, and, you know, um, without trial. Yes. And, so Russia, as the Russian military does bear some responsibility here as I see it. If they're going to withdraw from an area, then they really need to make sure that anyone who was working with them while they were there is evacuated with them because uh, the potential reprisals uh, for collaboration, yes, it's a war crime, but quite obviously, uh, you know, no Western country is ever going to accuse Ukraine of war crimes, no matter what they do. They're never going to accuse the, the Kiev regime. I, look at the U.S. doesn't even allow itself to be investigated for war crimes. When when the, uh, the International Criminal Court prosecutors tried to open a case against the U.S. for crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan, they sanctioned the court, they sanctioned the judges, and they sanctioned the prosecutors until <laughs> the charges were withdrawn. So, you know, there there is no real justice on this. This is, uh, you know, justice as we make it or as the narrative spins it. Now, Mark, we got to let, we, we gotta, we gotta let you go soon. But first, I, let me just one final question. You talked about peripherally the cauldron that's building in eastern Ukraine. Do you expect a big battle there? Do you expect a decisive battle is coming? Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be like one decisive battle that we'll know in a, a, a day or two, right? I mean, it's it's still enough uh, of an area, and a, there's supposedly some forty to sixty thousand troop Ukrainian uh, regular army troops there. They've got to be running low on ammunition, fuel, right? Uh, they've been, certainly been pummeled by the Russian air force. 
um, and by artillery out of the Donbass republics. Of course, they've pummeled back with artillery, you know, into Donbass. You know that them doing that in the beginning is part of what initiated this whole thing. Uh, but um, I think it will be more of a slow motion thing. I don't think you're going to see one day one big battle or something like this. I think hopefully the, the majority of them will be convinced to surrender. Uh, but um, I know that evidently they have already requested to withdraw earlier to a more defensible position where they could be resupplied. And Zelensky said no, because it could have been used by Russia for propaganda purposes. So uh, in, in a lot of ways, a lot like exactly what happened on Snake Island, uh, I, I think the Kiev regime has uh, you know, uh, left these troops there uh, and kind of uh, tossed them to the wind. Okay, that's a good prognostication and something to watch for. People can check out what happens because it does seem like that's in, it's coming down to that's maybe series of battles is imminent, right? In the next few weeks, in the next few weeks, yeah. Yeah. Mark Zabona, thanks so much for joining us. Fantastic appearance and fantastic information as usual. When we come back, we'll be talking to Jason Goodman, who's our guest host today on The Backstory. Back on the backstory. Fantastic appearance by Mark Sloboda. Yeah. Straight out of Moscow. What do you think, Jason? I was glad to hear from him. He had a lot of insight into things that I was not aware of. And I mean, it's uh it's a big problem we're faced with here, Lee, because you know, obviously there's been misinformation and disinformation is a weapon of war going all the way back. And uh I've heard a lot from David Hawkins about this Aspididra transmitter that the BBC developed with the help of RCA in World War II, where they would overpower German broadcasts and, and you know broadcast in German language into Germany to fool the people of Germany. And what we're seeing now is just the most sophisticated social media-driven disinfo campaign. I mean, all this stuff with videos being posted by individuals, and I mean, Zelensky is like an uber troll. He's like a super social engineer. Did you see him at the Grammys? Well, we'll, also, we'll talk about the, yes, but we'll talk about the propaganda aspects of that yeah. coming up. We'll talk about that next hour. And taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Let's go to a call. BT from New York, what's on your mind? Hey, guys, I'm so happy to see you back, Lee. Um, I had a observation. Thank you. Uh, um, yeah, thing um, massacre, alleged massacre. As uh, Mark was saying, like Russia's exit from the area was strategic. It's not like they were fleeing under fire. Yeah. Right. Right. Must have known full well that as would happen from any advance from Kiev, there would be Western and Ukrainian reporters tens of thousands of dollars in camera equipment right behind um, the troops. 
incoming troops. So it, it seems so irrational um, for for them to sort of lay bodies strewn on on the side of a, the road on both sides for these cameras to capture. Um, and, and if you watch the footage, or at least one of the videos that I watched, it was it was like you saw a body on one side of the road, and then on the opposite side a few meters later, and then on the other side a few meters later, it was like a, yeah, very placed there, yeah. And yeah, and the armband thing sort of add to the suspicion. But yeah, it just doesn't seem like a rational thing. They had days after Putin announced um, that they would refocus on the east and withdraw from the area. They weren't under fire. Um, and I don't yeah, that, meaning that. It's a good observation. And I think you're right. I mean, I think what uh, BT is telling us about, Lee, is a lot of people are getting the sense, particularly people who didn't buy into the earlier propaganda, are just getting a sense that how does this... How does this add up? Why would Putin do this? This is not uh, a strategic act by an organized military from a, a serious country. This is gang violence, disorganized lunatics. Well, the answer is Putin's a monster. And I say this because that was the answer in Syria. Right. When Obama had said, if you use chemical weapons, that's the red line. Right. And then Bashar al-Assad used chemical weapons, according to the narrative. Right. <laughs> the answer for why is, well, Assad's a monster. Right. So many people buy that when they tell them that. But, well, let me start again. And I'll, let me say one other thing that I, before we get into the propaganda stuff. Yeah. One thing I like about Mark, when he comes on, he's giving you things you can look up. He right. didn't tell you to look him up, but I'm telling you, look him up. Like that's the thing about Ukraine announcing a cleansing of collaborators, right? Yeah, yeah. Someone could look that up. They could identify, did that thing actually happen? And if it did, I think it's significant. And Mark is full of stuff like that. When he talks about someone assassinated on the street, a politician, yeah, you can look that up and see, oh, yeah, I guess the Ukrainians are killing people on the street and killing collaborators. So uh, let me let me start talking about the propaganda stuff. We got a couple minutes. Mm. The argument is that Ukraine is winning the propaganda war. I don't agree. And the way I'm scoring is it is unfair to look, I'll put it like this. When the war started, a lot of people on the right were siding with Ukraine. Now I'm talking Trump supporters, Republicans, and so on. But then a significant number of them started asking questions, started saying, you know, stuff isn't adding up here. And then their opinion changed. What I would say is the Ukrainians started ahead in the propaganda war. 
So you can't say they're winning because if I start a race, uh, you know, and I start to race five miles ahead of you. Right. Guess what? Early on, it looks like I'm winning. Yeah. You follow me? I'm clearly winning. Yeah. And I judge it on where are people landing? Where are people going as you near the finish line in a race, for instance, as one side caught up? Then I'd say, if you're started five miles behind me and now you're 20 feet behind me. Yeah, you're right? losing. Right. No, it's a good analogy. Right. But it, it's also a good analogy because I think Ukraine had that head start. They had the plan in place. Indeed. United States helping them. And also, you know, you, you had mentioned when we were speaking to Mark that maybe in retrospect it was a mistake and you had some concerns about leaving these regions that this type of thing might happen. I suspect that the social engineers behind this whole effort had a plan for that as well, which would have been to just say, oh, see, they're occupying Ukraine. Where They said they wouldn't. You can't trust Russia. Because that's the way these social engineering campaigns work. They like to try, they're designed to try to catch you in a checkmate position. Right. Jason Goodman, let's go to a short break here. And we'll come talk about it more when we come back. You're listening to Jason Goodman co-hosting me from Crowdsource of Truth. I'm Lee Stranahan. And this is The Backstory. From the Empire of Lies and just outside the metrics, it is time for the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative reporter at least Shanahan, and this is a backstory. We are joined by co-host Jason Goodman from Crowdsource of Truth. How are you, Lee? And you're doing good. And coming up this hour, we got Daniel Czar. Do me a favor, say the name of the show, Jason. Backstory. Love it. By the way, let me just aside from nothing, random, random, almost personal. But guess what I'm seeing this weekend? Uh, well, I don't know. My brother. Oh, great. Jason Goodman is friends with my brother, too. My brother, Ken, and uh, has worked with him. Yeah, he helped me test some of the prototypes of the 3D cameras I was developing. We've, we've known each other for so long, Lee. It's, uh, it, it, I want to reiterate what the callers and the other guests have been saying. Everybody is really pleased to see your recovery going as well as it has been and to have you back on the backstory here. I'm happy to be back, although I'm sad that I still sound a little mentally challenged. It's, it's improving each week, clearly. Yeah, it, it is improving, and... I'm glad to be back because I've got a lot on my mind. And uh, the only way my speech is going to improve is by continuing to speak. Yeah. And so if I was just laying in my bed crying all day, it wouldn't help. It wouldn't be good for me. You know what I'm saying? I got a question for you about speech. I don't mean to derail, but, you know, I'm a little bit ADD and I'm thinking a lot 
about the disruption of freedom of speech. When you and I want to talk about some of this stuff, it's very difficult. Twitter, YouTube, et cetera. Do you think Elon Musk getting involved in Twitter in the way that he has is going to change anything in social media here in the United States? Well, we'll know quickly. Mm -hmm. And I hope so, because I like Twitter and I think it's it's a useful platform that's been destroyed yeah. by these totalitarian speech policies. Yeah. These sense, it's the same thing with YouTube. YouTube, yeah. in theory, is great. Yeah. But YouTube censoring information terrible is bad. It is. And and I hope Elon Musk will do the right thing quickly mm -hmm. because. Twitter still has the big audience. Yeah. Now, this takes us back to the point that I was making earlier. The propaganda war, people say, well, Ukraine's winning. I don't think so. And let me give an example. Who won the COVID-19 propaganda war? Well, I don't know, but, you know, the economy certainly didn't, and it ruined New York City, I can tell you that. And you can't expect a complete victory when there's a massively funded propaganda operation. I yeah. would argue the number of people who are—let me ask this question. I'll ask yeah. it differently. Prior to this war, how many people—and let me restrict it to the right— Republicans. Mm -hmm. How many people knew a damn thing about Zelensky? Zero, probably. Right. He visited Trump one day, so people were like, "Okay, there he is." Right, right. And and Zelensky, at first, he got a bump in the ratings. A lot yeah, of people knew he was. Seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, he was hanging out with Trump. Seemed all right. Now, now, how many people on the right? know who Zelensky is and are skeptical of him. Many. And you know what's interesting about that, Lee? If you go back, somebody did a video where they did this. They went to that Trump-Zelensky meeting at the White House where Zelensky, he almost seems like a kid. You know, he's this comedian, reality show star or whatever who just won the presidency. So he's sort of Trump-like in that way. And that makes... Zelensky's story, somewhat believable. The United States had an actor in Ronald Reagan, television celebrity in Donald Trump. Here's another TV president. And he's like this young kid sitting there with Trump. But this video that I saw, they, they focused on and even zoomed in on Zelensky's face when Trump said certain things about checking out corruption in Ukraine. And Zelensky is like cringing. He doesn't want to look at the corruption. <laughs> and I think when people see the Zelensky speaking at the World Economic Forum, for instance, that footage is up on YouTube. And they learn the connections between Soros. And I've been talking about this for years, but whatever, I have a limited audience. I would say more people than ever realize Zelensky is a bad guy. And yeah. realize that the Nazi regime is real. Yeah. And they're seeing that the U.S. deep state is backing this Nazi regime. Yeah. And I, I would say 
that's a propaganda loss. And that didn't exist. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Well, I, I mean, but the thing is, to me, this this massacre that's getting all this airtime, it's kind of taken a lot of attention away from the evidence-backed legitimate claims that have yet to be answered about these biological laboratories. Right. Yes. That's a bad thing. And that may be, and and by the way, a lot of the uh, propaganda about Mariupol, Sharif, I see on the line, I'll get to you in one second. A lot of the propaganda about Mariupol, we don't know who was at Mariupol. It, it seems like NATO had advisors there, hmm. for instance. It seemed like there might be CIA people there. Three pointed that out yesterday. Wow. And the the French may have been involved. Wow. I think a lot of this propaganda is to cover up things. Right. But on the bio labs, they're not ultimately going to be able to. And one of the biggest points of propaganda is it's often repeated in the West. Russia's isolated. Right. Russia's isolated. Right. No. Russia is allies. Russia has never been closer with China. Yeah. And there's that's a that's a lot of people. And that's an important yeah. country. So it's not like, you know, Russia's allies are Barbados <laughs> and Turks and Caicos or something like that. These are big yeah. countries. India, China. And decisively, you know, we saw this even, don't forget this, it happened a few weeks ago, but remember when Saudi Arabia refused to take Biden's phone call? Yeah. The U.S. is losing rapidly. Yep. And that's what I'm going to argue. 202-521-1320, Tarif in New Orleans, what is on your mind? Um, thank you for taking my call. I have three comments. First comment is that the U.S. put a um, hold on Russian bond payments, which means J.P. Morgan that was paying them can't pay them no more. So that means the bond holders is going to turn around and sue J.P. Morgan, then J.P. Morgan is going to turn around and sue the United States. It's their right. They can do it. Uh, they can sue the United States for putting a um, freeze on Russian bonds. And also, that's going to weaken the dollar even more because the IMF came out and said, from what I understand today, that um, that's going to make things, going to make the U.S. Um, uh, reserve currency even weaker. So that's my first comment. My second comment. No, great point, Trave. Oh, go ahead. My second comment is dealing with the um, who's going over there in Ukraine. I'm seeing reports that Sweden. They're supposed to have foreign mercenaries in Mariupol asking for a green corridor. They have yet to be confirmed. Is they from UK, Sweden, Sweden, France, Germany? Uh, we're gonna see what's gonna happen with that if they want if the Russians give them a green corridor. If that's true, my um, <clears throat> third comment is dealing with um. Oh, I have two other comments. I'm sorry. My my third comment is dealing with um. Elon Musk buying shares at 9.2% of the company stake in uh, Twitter. Yeah. And the rumor mill, the, the rumor mill is this that he's going to be on the um, board, the um, the board that um, uh, on the Twitter board. They, they accepted him this morning. They announced it. 
Okay. He's on the board. Now, yeah, uh, now from what I understand, behind him, who's helping him out, is Peter Till. It's about, Ooh. Um, is helping um, Elon Musk out. And the rumor is you're going to have a massive purge of Twitter throughout these months coming up. So wow. what's going to happen? I, you know, Peter Till, and, you know, he's not a good guy, but still. Um, my, uh, my, my other comment is dealing with um, <clears throat> the, the trucking, um, uh, the transportation, dealing with what's going on in the United States. If the barrel all hit, when I understand, I was li- listening to different people today, the barrel all hits 180 to 200, then it would become a deficit for trucking companies to keep shipping because they're going to be shipping stuff throughout the country at a loss. So what you're going to have is a massive shutdown and, uh, of companies, and you're going to have a matter of shoulders and uh, um, also dealing with the, um, the shelves, things of that nature. Um, it, it, it's going to be very much um, chaotic. I mean, they have another room I want to say, but I don't know how, how true it is, but they're supposed to have an American general in Maripool too, but... We still wait for the if it's confirmed if it's true or not. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting on that one. I appreciate y'all. I call today. The situation in Mariupol, as I said, there's a lot of question about foreigners and very possibly U.S. CIA. Wow. In Mariupol, and why you see a lot of propaganda about it, and why they're fighting fiercely. I saw a video we were talking before. You've been watching Patrick Lancaster over on YouTube sometimes. Yeah. Patrick yeah. Lancaster's a citizen journalist who's doing video reporting from Ukraine and gutsy stuff because it's yeah. he's 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 in the thick of it. Yep. And he's in Mariupol today. And people are talking about they're getting sniped from the Ukrainian side. Wow. Now, why do you think they're snipers? From the Ukrainian side. I don't know. Take out reporters, maybe. I don't know why. Well, I think it's to silence people. Yeah. And so let's watch. Let's keep an eye on that situation. Let's go yeah. to the calls. 202-521-1320. David in New York. What is on your mind? Uh, Hi, Lee. Uh, I have a comment relating to woke culture, which I'd like to get your opinion on. And and then after your response, I have a follow-up comment. Uh, But uh, before my comments, I want to reiterate what other people have said. I want to say I'm I'm glad you're back, and I hope you'll soon be able to make a full recovery. But uh, my starting comment is this. Uh, I think it's clear that the overwhelming majority of of the world's population does not subscribe to woke ideology. If we just consider, but if we just consider the U.S., the quantification of the cultural divide is less clear. But my sense is that in the, in the U.S., while there's a significant and gradually increasing proportion of the population who are ardently pro-woke, I think it's still the case that the majority of the population is mostly anti-woke. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, I, I agree. I, I broadly agree. I think most people who are pro-woke don't know what the hell they're talking about. Right. They don't know what it means. So yeah. people who say I'm in favor of critical race theory, they don't really understand critical race theory. Yeah. They say that they're in favor of it, mostly because they know people on Fox are opposed to it. Right. They see it on the news. Right. 
they, they think critical race theory maybe means affirmative action. That's not what critical race theory means. So I think that when they actually understand what it means, they're opposed to it. That's 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 what I'd say. Can I make my follow-up comment? Yeah, go ahead. So my, my sense is that the woke ideology is mostly a youth phenomenon. Yeah. The extent that public schools across the country promote wokeism, the proportion of the population who are pro-woke will continue to increase with the potential to eventually flip the balance to the majority pro-woke. And yeah, that's right. I agree. Defend against that, the anti-woke populace needs to take seriously the goal of achieving greater political control over how controversial cultural issues are covered in public schools. That's my comment. That's a good comment. And you're right, I think. I mean, this speaks directly to what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida. See how they take this. I don't see how anyone could object to a bill that simply says no sexual education or discussion of sexual topics with children in third grade and under. I mean, that how is that controversial? But again, it's social engineering. They call it don't say gay, even though it has nothing to do with that. And then suddenly now anybody who's gay is against it, as you said, Lee, without knowing anything about it. And I, I mean, you the one thing I would disagree with you on, Lee, is that you said once people learn what it is about, they might not agree with it. I don't think anybody bothers to learn what it's about. They just decide, oh, this person who appeals to me for whatever reason and is on a news show that appeals to me for whatever reason says this. So I'll agree to like that. And I see all my friends are saying this and I don't want to get fired from my job or, you know, be canceled or whatever. I think it's that. It's peer pressure and, and just ignorance that gets people behind these things. But the propaganda war, part of what, the way the propaganda war works is the propaganda war side has to say they're winning. Right. So part of propaganda is that woke is winning. Hmm. I I said this uh, on Twitter the other night. And I, I need to expand on it. I, I said, and it's a shallow comment, but it's actually deep. The shallow comment is I said that the forces of anti-woke culture, for instance, against globalism, it's fought one independent mind at a time. Mm. Whereas, you see, the advantage the establishment media has is it works in bulk. Yep. Is it works massively. Yeah. So therefore they're capable of getting support for something that is, as the phrase goes, on a mile wide and an inch deep. Right. They're able to get support for something among a lot of people in the same way. If you put an ad for Coke up, right. A lot of people will buy Coke. Yeah, it's not a big explanation of what's in Coke and what it's going to do to your health and a good understanding of it. It's just, hey, it's red. It's delicious. Get it. And what I've noticed is people figure this stuff out where and they they not on mass. I hear individuals say, you know, I used to think that I used to think. I, I've talked to any number of people who told me I was in favor of Black Lives Matter. At first, I thought it was just, 
you're not racist. Yeah. Then I looked into it, and now I'm opposed to Black Lives Matter. And I'm still not racist, but they go, I I stopped being fooled by it. And that's the way these battles come. Yeah. One at a time. That movement really face-planted, didn't it? I think that those three women who are the kind of like the the spokespeople for it, you know, there's all these pictures of them coming out having huge meals at these fancy houses they're buying. I think a lot of people feel betrayed by that. And they're not the spokesmen. They're the founders. Patrice right. Coles, Obojimedi, and Alicia yeah. Garza were the founders. They came up with the idea. And the reason I think, I'll put it like this. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Right. And the process of people figuring out the lies, this just say gay, don't say gay, whatever it is. Yeah. The stupid name they gave it. Yeah. I think sane people are opposed to kindergartners being taught about Transgender. Yeah, I agree. I, why, why even make that a subject for kids at all? It doesn't make any sense. And what happens is, at first, it they're, they're saying, well, they they can't be serious. They can't believe that. You know, a lot of the, the, the propaganda on the Ukraine, it sounds insane. If I say they're Ukrainian Nazis, yeah. No, right. It sounds <laughs> <okay>. crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people hear Nazi thrown around all the time. Trump's a Nazi. But if there were a picture of Trump wearing a swastika armband, as we have with the Ukrainian yeah. forces, right? Openly wearing swastikas. Mm -hmm. You go, people go, gee, I guess, gee. They really do believe that. That that no, that is the relevant point. I mean, listen, you when we did the backs of the uh, high dive on Patreon and Subscribestar, which people can watch tomorrow night, you showed us a video of them having some kind of little conference where it's like a guy in a boardroom, kind of addressing this this like like a hotel kind of conference room where he's saying we love to kill and we're the ones who burned up that government building and if we weren't there, none of that would have happened. I mean, he's openly admitting it. It's not like we're making this up. And those, those guys are there. They love killing. They're a gang of psychopathic, militarized terrorists who are destroying the place and they've been turned into... I mean, you know, I, I look at this as if it's it's quieted down here in New York, but it probably will come back in the summertime, definitely 2020 and 21, Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Well, what is that? We were just talking about Black Lives Matter, and some people think it's you're not racist. Some people think it's, you know, this is our revolution. It's not a really clearly defined thing. It's not like being on the Knicks where you know who's on there and what their purpose is and what they're doing and all that. It's this amorphous thing that people come in and out of. There's a New York version. There's a California version of what they're doing. So if suddenly there were no police whatsoever in New York, no army whatsoever, and these Antifa, anarchist, Marxist, BLM, whatever they're supporting, if they suddenly got 50 caliber machine guns and M16s, and they were rolling around just killing anybody they didn't like, 
there'd be carnage. That seems to be what's happening in Ukraine. Right, exactly. Uh, now, let's. I want to get to calls because we got Brave and then Ingrid. Let's go. Show two five two one thirteen twenty. Let's go first to Brave in Atlanta. Brave, what's on your mind? Hey, how's it going, guys? I um, I was watching. I I, I think you guys are making some great points. Um, I, I can't fully, I can't fully jump on with the whole Black Lives Matter thing. I think there's a difference between the representation and the people on the ground. But that aside, I said the point on my call. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching the the UN security uh, brief. Uh, 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 the U.S. security um, uh, gathering today, and it, it was funny because not funny. It was really sick. Um, Z- Zelensky speaks, and he um, has this really, really, really well produced uh, pack. It was a great package. And yeah. Was, uh, you, did you guys see that? <laughs> I did. He does that all the time, Brave. It's edited. There's music. It's they're using the language of cinema to manipulate people. Right. It, it was so well. It was so well produced. Yeah. Really yeah. nice, and everybody, of course, buys into it. And, but the the found to be so horrible um, is that. But I, but I expected right. So the Russian representative comes, as, as you guys probably saw, the Russian representative comes, and and he gets to speak, and he's laying out all of these facts, right? He, yeah. He's out, um, the, the 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 Fox News interview with Zelensky, and Zelensky, um, so you know the the the, the, the I'm sorry, the, the Nazis they are where they are, all these things, and. After, after he's speaking, lays out like all of these great points, they just continue on. <laughs> right. They ignore it. Exactly. Well, this is the stipulated reality versus empirical facts problem. Liars don't like facts. They like to stipulate the reality. Let me ask you this, Brave. Did you see Zelensky on the Grammys? And I, refuse to, I refuse to watch the Grammys. <laughs> all right. Well, but I understand. The thing that's interesting is... I did see the clips. I did see the clips. Well, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. He's speaking English at the Grammys, but at the UN, he's speaking in Russian through a translator. Why? Oh, because because of how it appears and how it appeals to the people, to the voice, to the people. Exactly, exactly. And if you go to the uh, website for the Ukrainian presidency, when he goes to visit Buka, he's got some kind of you know presidential photographic crew with him and he's having some conversation with a guy and this guy you know loosely represents the town militia or whatever the hell it is he's calling for some meeting and zelensky is like doing a scene that looks like this is zelensky's apocalypse now and they're doing shot reverse shot so when zelensky speaks the camera is looking over the shoulder of the person he's speaking to at zelensky and then when the person responds, it cuts to the guy's response, like we're watching a movie, not like you have some field reporter. You know, I walk around with an iPhone on a three-axis gimbal, and if somebody talks, I point the camera at them. If somebody else talks, I point the camera at them. It's not this big produced thing. And there's something about that that shows you, you know, if I'm standing there and a car explodes and I point the camera at it, that is the closest thing to being there and witnessing it yourself. Once you start getting into editing and cutting, was that the first take with Zelensky or did he do it again so it's more convincing? <laughs> the other thing is these videos that I'm seeing of Zelensky, they're shot at 24 frames per second, which the average viewer may not notice when they watch a video. But what it does is it subconsciously puts your brain into the mode of watching a movie in a movie yeah. theater. Think about the difference yeah. when you watch an NFL game or a soap opera or the nightly news versus how a movie on television looks. 
that cadence of the motion of the image creates a almost dreamlike uh, aspect to the film. There was a big push for high frame rate in motion pictures about five or 10 years ago when they were doing The Hobbit and all that. And a lot of people resisted it. As a cinematographer, I didn't like it because I felt it made the movie look too realistic. By having this surrealistic look, it puts you in this hyper-dramatized sense. So they're really manipulating viewers on a very subconscious level. It's quite disturbing. Now, Command Central, I, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to take Ingrid Skull, and then we'll go, go to the break when, wherever she finishes. So we don't have to go out right at that minute, because we don't have time otherwise. Ingrid in D.C., what's on your mind? I'll just be quick. Um, as far as wearing the Nazi armbands, there's a lot of different levels of denial, and one of them is people saying, oh, that's some ancient Sanskrit symbol, and, and they say something about, well, same thing with the wolf angle, or how do you pronounce it? But now oh, when well, into yeah. layers where they're, uh, they've captured the, the hideouts, they're finding them just full of books of, you know, Hitler and other Nazi uh, literature. Right, right. So it's 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 definitely not just a random sim symbol that they've taken. No, good point. They, some of these houses where the Azov Battalion leadership had been, they've been in there, and they had all kinds of, as you say, World War II memorabilia and loving pictures of Nazis. So great point, Ingrid. When we come back from a break, Daniel Czar joining us. This is the backstory. And we're back on the backstory, 105.5 FM. AM 1390, that's where you can hear us on the radio in Washington, D.C., and the surrounding environs. Joined by Jason Goodman today, guest hosting all, co-hosting all show. Jason, it's been great to have you on. Thank you. I'm not getting rid of you, but I'm just <laughs> not yet being polite up front, up front. Yeah, appreciate Joining it. Joining us now. Daniel Czar, he's a writer, analyst, and a frequent guest on this show. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm okay. So, listen, you had a recent article that I read. We talked about the spirit of Zbigniew Brzezinski. I always do that. That's Zbigniew Brzezinski. Yeah, I, I mean it. If anybody looks up Zbigniew Rybczynski, he is a, one of my favorite music video directors. But you weren't talking about music videos. You were talking about no. Zbigniew <laughs> Rybczynski, uh, Mika's dad. We can call her Mika's dad. How his spirit is alive and well in the Biden administration. Tell people where they can find that article and then tell people what you're talking about. Well, the article appears in a British uh, publication called The Weekly Worker. It's at uh, www.weeklyworker.co. 
Okay, and Command Central will tell us when he comes back. Saying he's a big new Brzezinski is tough enough. Exactly. But I but I say the name of the director is a big new Brzezinski. Do you know what he did that you like, Jason? I don't even know who if he you is. Look, well, look him up. He won an Oscar uh, for a short film he did called Tango. Rybinski, I see him here. Yeah, okay, here he is. Polish filmmaker, director, and cinematographer. Oh yeah, 1982 Academy Award for the best short film for Tango. Totally different guy. And that's worth checking out, <laughs> particularly since you like technical stuff, Jason. Tango, you should watch. Daniel, welcome back. Sorry, we lost you. Don't know what happened. Okay, so you're saying weekly worker. Yeah. So the um, so so as uh, Big Nubrzezinski was the national security advisor uh, to uh, to to uh, Jimmy Carter, um, the man who was responsible for uh, essentially the Afghan war uh, when the um, when the Afghan revolutionary government was tottering in in uh, in 1978 to 79. He had the bright idea of uh, providing money to the uh, Afghan mujahideen and the hope of uh, worsening the situation drawing the Soviets uh, into Afghanistan, encouraging them to invade, uh, and then, as he put it, giving them their own uh, Vietnam. Um, and Zbigniew Brzezinski, you know, uh, went to academia after, after Carter left office, but his, uh, his, his student, his protege, um, uh, um, Madeleine Albright, went on to become a national security advisor under Bill Clinton. Uh, in the, during his second term. So he's, a, he's an influential, influential guy. But in 1997, he wrote a book called The Grand Chessboard, which turned into a surprise bestseller um, and a highly influential book. And in this book, he laid out a, an international strategy for the uh, United States, which began with, number one, arming Eastern Europe and especially uh, the Ukraine to the teeth. Uh, and then using them as a wedge to break up Russia into three parts uh, under U.S. control uh, and then penetrate into Central Asia, tap its energy resources, and then use that as a base to attack China. And when I say attack, I mean, I mean apply economic pressure, political pressure, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, essentially forcing the Chinese to subordinate themselves to uh, to uh, American policy, you know, so it's an amazingly prescient, you know, strategy, uh, and and it seems, and it seems quite reasonable to say that the U.S. is, you know, that the U.S. is essentially in the opening stages of a Brzezinskian, uh, you know, uh, uh, operation, uh, whose goal is to is to essentially dismantle the Russian state, you know, penetrate deep into Kazakhstan. And then, you know, and then slice through uh, Xinjiang, the, uh, the Uyghur province in, uh, in western China, um, uh, which is a very uh, real weak point for the Chinese, and use it to, you know, to, to begin the same process with China. Now, I don't think I'm being paranoid because Brzezinski laid this out in great detail in his book, which was highly influential. Uh, and it seems to me that the, uh, that, the, that the script he outlined is being followed today. Wow. Now, however, let's point out that China and Russia, people there can also buy this book, right? 
<laughs> yeah, anybody can buy it on Amazon.com. It's freely available. Because they seem to have figured out what the administration is up to. In fact, Daniel, I say this with no small amount of respect. You're one of those people who can fluidly use the term global hegemon, aren't you? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. And and on the meeting they had on February 4th, Russia and China were using the term global hegemon. You may yeah. have noticed yeah. that. Russia and China yeah. actively talked about the danger of the U.S. being a global hegemon. And they're apparently also aware of the strategy, and they would like not to be victimized by it, I'm, is my guess. And so they've come out with a counteroffensive, and it seems to me like the U.S., maybe if they'd done this in Brzezinski's time, that would have been effective. But China's different. Russia's very different from who they were back then. And it seems to me this new alliance, what they have forged is an alliance that's basically China said, we are firmly behind the Russians. Uh, and they haven't come out and quite laid all their cards out on the table. They've not explicitly come out, for instance, and and say that they were aware of this going into it. But it's obvious. It's obvious. Russia and China are such a close ally that there's no way, I think, China did not know this Ukraine invasion was coming. Would you agree with that? Um, it's I, I don't know the answer to that. It's really hard to tell. Because right up to right up to the eve, the the eve of the invasion, China was criticizing the U.S. for predicting an invasion and then and spreading panic. Uh, so therefore, it suggests to me that 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 China was as surprised as everybody else. But China certainly is aware of U.S. pressure on Russia. Is very concerned. You know, there's a there's a Chinese uh, newspaper summed it up, summed up the American message uh, that China as as please. Hold my coat while I beat up your friend, so that I can then beat up you. You know, I mean, uh, and the Chinese are are not going to fall. I mean, obviously they're going to fall for this. I mean, they they feel deeply threatened by the U.S. They understand that Russia is threatened by the U.S. and th therefore they and Russia have a commonality of interest. Uh, and it's just you know, the U.S. has picked a fight with you know with with, with two large powers one medium-sized power and one super-large power, and I don't see how the U.S. can prevail, really, ultimately. Yeah, yeah no, I, and I think the miscalculation was doing this at this point against this Russia and this China, who's over, it, it seems to me, the economics of it have proven out, we were talking to Mark Sabota earlier, Russia's economy has been affected a little bit, but by and large, it's okay. And the Western economies, in particular Europe, well, I think once once it shakes down, we talked about this yesterday, there was a 5,000-car rally in Germany, pro-Russian rally. I think a lot of 
the European allies that currently are siding with the U.S. are eventually and very quickly eventually going to come to regret that decision and are going to change their opinion. Daniel, what do you think is possible there? I, I totally agree with that. I mean, Germany is facing an incredible energy crunch. Look, the reason the, reason the Russia's, Russia's economy is doing, doing well is that its major assets, its major as, um, uh, exports are all, are all rising in value. I mean, uh, energy, wheat, uh, fertilizers, et cetera, those are all shooting through the roof. And, and, uh, and um, uh, Germany is not in the same position. I mean, it is dependent on imports of those, of those kinds of commodities. Uh, and, it, it, you know, and it's extremely vulnerable to really strong price hikes. And that's what it's facing. I mean, Germany is facing a debu- an economic debacle, and uh, and the people, the German people, know it, uh, and the government is going to be like, you know, in serious trouble. We'll see what happens in France with the uh, the elections this Sunday, where suddenly Macron is facing a serious challenge from both the extreme left and the extreme right, from Marine Le Pen on uh, on one hand, and on um, and Melanchthon, the uh, the head of the uh, of a radical French movement called uh, France, uh, France unsubmitted, France insoumise, uh, which is you know which is a challenging Macron for the left, uh, and I think Macron's, Macron is beginning to weaken because this war is just not going well. It's not what the French people want. Uh, it's clearly phony, and uh, and the message is getting through. Now speaking of clearly phony and Command Central. Can you get that Zelensky clip from yesterday? Okay. So Zelensky was recently on Fox News <laughs> or or Fox Business. And for you know, an actor, he flubbed his lines. He gave this well, let's hear it. Let's hear Zelensky on Fox ask about the Ukrainian Nazis. Let's hear what he says. I want to have have you clear something up for us. Uh, and this is these reports about the Azov Battalion that is said to be Nazi affiliated organization operating as a militia in your country, uh, said to be committing their own atrocities. What should Americans know about that unit, about those res- reports? So Azov was one of those many battalions. They are what they are. They were defending our country. And later, I want to explain to you. Everything uh, from uh, all the components of those volunteer battalions later uh, were um, incorporated into the the military of Ukraine. Those uh, Azov uh, fighters are no longer uh, self-established group. They are a component of the Ukrainian military. Back in 2014, there were situations when our volunteers were uh, encircled and some of them did violate laws, uh, laws of Ukraine, and they actually were taken to court and got uh, prison sentences. So law is above all. Now that just plain not a good response, Jason. If if you know your girlfriend, if, if someone asks you, well, your girlfriend says you beat her, and your girlfriend is asked, is it true? Does Jason beat you? And she says, well. 
Jason is what he is. That's not the answer you want to hear. No, no, no. And he's been integrated into the beating battalion. So let's talk about the next topic. <laughs> hey, no, no, right, right. And Jason, by the way, Jason doesn't. doesn't I don't beat anybody, no. Has, no, he doesn't. No girlfriend but, either right now. And that that's a double fake news. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going to point out that he, he is what he is. It's not the response you want to hear. No. And is he's asking a softball question. He's thrown across the plate. It's a slow, slow pitch fastball, slow pitch softball by Fox. Are these guys Nazis? He could have said no. And this guy would not have argued with him. This guy in Fox would have agreed with him. Daniel, what did you think of that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, look at um, Andre Boletsky, who's the man who founded the uh, the Azov Battalion, and he's also someone who's famous for saying that the Ukraine's national mission is to save the white race from the from the untermension led by the Semites. The untermension means means subhumans in German. So, uh, you know, so but 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 Bolesky was quoted by the Financial Times a few days ago saying that there are now 20,000 members of the Azov battalions. And they're they're all over the country in Kiev, in Mariupol, in in, uh, in the uh, Donbass, et cetera, et cetera. So this movement is growing like wildfire, according to its own founder. And so, you know, so uh, so this is a, a major problem. And to deny this problem exists is madness. You know, it's it's really funny. Um, the the BBC ran a piece, uh, ran a, a segment uh, denying, you know, it's a sort of poo-pooing charges that the uh, that the Azov Brigade Battalion were are neo-Nazi. Three years earlier. The BBC ran a piece, an expose about how Nazi the the, uh, the Azov Battalion is. You know, it's, so it's it's they expect us to believe this. This is ridiculous. Well, talking about somebody who is what he is, Hunter Biden. That's that's a segue for you. But <laughs> Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop story, I think, shows that they don't play this propaganda game for long term changing people's minds. They're hoping they can fool people today. That's what they want to do. They want to, they hope people have no memory and they hope they don't look at and hold them to their own playbook, hold them to their own accounting. What do you make of the fact that the Washington Post, the New York Times and CNN have all come out and admitted to the Hunter Biden laptop story or just the Biden laptop story in general, is accurate. What do you think is going on there? <laughs> it, it's an amazing, it's amazing. It's an embarrassment. I mean, if you recall what happened in 2020, I mean, not only did, uh, did Facebook and uh, and uh, Twitter ban any mention of the, uh, of the laptop on the ground that it was a Russian plant, but, you know, was it 50 top intelligence officials signed an open letter saying that, you know, it was a typical example of a Russian intelligence uh, operation. And, uh, and I was just watching the clip uh, this morning uh, during the, one of the TV debates. Uh, someone asked Biden about the laptop and he went on and on and on about how everybody knows it's a Russian plant, a Russian plant. And, and Trump stopped and said, 
do you really think it's Russia, Russia, Russia? I can't believe this. <laughs> you know, and 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 Biden, Trump was correct because obviously the obviously the the laptop was Hunter Biden's. Obviously, obviously, it's filled with juicy emails showing, among other very important things, that Joe Biden was aware of his son's activities. He was encouraging them, and he was clearly sought to profit from the business arrangement that Hunter was was cooking up when he left office. That is that is crystal clear from the uh, from the emails. Why the change, though, Daniel? Why do you think they're talking about it now, all of a sudden? Because truth eventually comes out. You sure that's it? They never do anything based on truth. They have some ulterior motive. What do you think about the possibility that somebody is warming up to indict Hunter Biden, trigger a pardon from Joe, and then have Joe say that he can't let his family problems overpower his role as president, so he's stepping down now and appointing Hillary vice president. And because Kamala Harris can't complete a sentence without cackling, Hillary will take on this outsized role of kind of like the co-president. And then maybe Kamala slips in a banana peel and Hillary becomes the president or something like that. It makes perfect sense. Something like that. Seems like they're cooking some scheme. <laughs> well, well, clearly, the, clearly the investigation of Hunter Biden is going forward. So that's creating pressure. I mean, that's 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 sending off sparks. So the press, the press can't ignore that. And, you know, and and when they investigate Hunter, they've got to investigate Joe. And they, remember this guy, Bob, Bob Olinsky, who was a uh, who was a uh, yeah, who was a uh, who was Hunter's uh, business partner. I mean, Bob Olinsky, you know, met with Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, and, and he said Joe Biden was aware of the, uh, of, the, of the deal. He wanted the deal. He's looking forward to the deal. So, you know, so it's, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a trouble spot. I mean, I remember back when I was 22 years old and, you know, and, and Watergate was just a, you know, a, 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 a speck on the horizon. And, uh, and, uh, and I was talking to a friend of my parents who was going to support uh, who was uh, arguing in favor of, uh, of supporting Nixon in 72. And I said, well, what about Watergate? And he said, uh, well, yeah, you're right, but it seems to be pretty small for the moment, right? <laughs> and it wasn't so small. It eventually blew up, and this will eventually blow up as well. In fact, let me come, come to, I'll, I'll, I'll see that, and I'll raise that prediction. And I'll say, not only is Hunter Biden going to be based indictment, but Joe Biden is going to face indictment. And so some people, absolutely. And I would say the proof of that is the fact that it is already out in the Washington Post, the New York Times, and CNN. They're admitting it. This has to, this is, people said on the show yesterday, uh, no one ever gets indicted. This is much bigger than the Bill Clinton thing. Much bigger. This is the biggest presidential scandal we've ever seen, I, th I think. That would be great. But, but let, me just, let me just say two things about, about Joe Biden. Number one, he's, the, he's the, the least rich, the most the poorest guy to ever inhabit the White House since I don't know when, actually. I mean, he lives in a modest little house in Delaware. He has no, you know, doesn't have any business connections. And 
Number two, the guy is really dumb. So therefore, you put that together, and you have the idea. Like a guy, he figures out why shouldn't I make a lot of money at a public office the way everybody else does? And the other problem is though, when he doesn't, he will do it stupidly. He will hook up with his with his with his coke-addled son, you know, who will get him in trouble. Well, he's the smartest guy he knows, right? And and that clearly is what's what's going on here. Well, also. You know, you say every politician does it. Look, I'm going to make a Jerry Springer analogy. Jerry Springer, when he was the mayor of, I believe, Cincinnati, lots of people go to hookers. Few of them go to hookers as the mayor and write a check. Wow. <laughs> Let me point out, that was what was amazing about Jerry Springer. It wasn't that he went to a hooker. He wrote a check that balanced. What an idiot. <laughs> Well, Jerry Springer was was. By the way, he was a he's a very smart guy. He when he was uh, when he ran for uh, some office, he was he was in a debate with like a half dozen of his fellow Democrats, and everyone agreed he was the most thoughtful guy in the of the bunch. So, but he, writing a, a bouncing a check is a bad thing. Have you ever have you ever have you ever you know, just a trivia, Daniel? Have you ever heard that any of the debates with Springer? No, I haven't actually. No. Okay. What's amazing about them, you've heard Jerry Springer, not, not, you're, you weren't a regular viewer, I assume, but you've heard him. I saw, I saw, I saw it more often than I care to admit. When you listen to that speech, that debate, when he's running, he sounds like Bobby Kennedy. He has a Boston accent. I swear to God, he's affecting a Kennedy esque accent. And it's the most amazing thing you've ever heard. Because you know, cause you go, Jerry Springer doesn't talk like that. So why is he talking like that? Well, he's a big Bobby Kennedy fan. And he he sounded like him. So that's trivia. But, hey, Daniel, uh, now, you, you, you've got to believe the Republicans are going to take the, the House in November, correct? Correct. Do you think impeachment will happen day one of them? The, the, what, as soon as they get into office, or do you think they'll wait a week or two? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I suppose they'll, they'll probably wait a week, a week or two, I guess, uh, but, but not much longer. Yeah, but what's the, what's the odds on Biden even living that long? Well, I, you know, I'm not one to predict anyone's death. Uh, and Keith Richards, case in it's point. Good point, yeah. <laughs> but Joe Biden, I have no reason to believe he he will won't be with us. But I do have reason to believe he will be impeached, and it's going to be rapid. And I think then he's going to end up quitting. He's going to end up being forced out by the Democrat Party before it gets to that major. Which will leave the Democrats with Kamala. Yeah, I think Joe Biden steps down before that happens so that he can appoint a vice president and leave with some kind of statement about I'm taking care of my family and have something of a legacy, at least in his own mind, versus an impeachment and criminal stuff. He'll just be history will you know, remember him for how he should be remembered. No, I think I think that's a prescient prediction. Daniel Czar, great appearance. Thanks for coming on the show. And I want to let you get back to watching Jerry Springer. 
I know you're busy. So Daniel, great appearance. Mark Savota, thanks so much. And Jason, great co-hosting. Thanks very much. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Story.